welcome to the Acupuncture Outsider podcast. My name is Richard Hazel, and in the time it takes for you to commute to or from work, I hope to have shared something of interest about orthopedic acupuncture using motor points, trigger points, myofascial slings, uh, neurofunctional acupuncture, segmental treatments, anything that crosses my mind that seems to be of interest. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Acupuncture Outsider. This is Richard Hazel and before I talk about uh, the topic I want to discuss which is double crush syndrome, I want to thank you all who have sent messages of support. Um, I do not take them lightly and I know some sometimes people think that I just get tons of messages about the podcast and in fact I don't get many messages from acupuncturists. <laughs> um, I get messages from doctors. Um, go figure. Um, but I love it. I love it. It's, um, it's very gratifying to get messages of support from medical doctors, neurologists, urologists, um, physical therapists, who else? Um, chiropractors. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who are not acupuncturists who are listening to my podcast. So I love that. Um, when I did my doctorate in acupuncture from uh, Pacific College, the, uh, the main gist of the whole program was to bridge the gap between um, being able to talk about um, acupuncture in a medical context. So understanding research and how to construct and design research without um, bias, understanding all of the different factors of bias and um, understanding how to read research and understanding um, all of everything that goes into um, constructing good research with double blinding and um, just unbiased uh, um, assessment and peer review. So um, to have people in the medical world um, listening to my podcast and giving me positive feedback is very gratifying. I feel like I'm, I'm fulfilling um, the desires of the people who put that education in place for those of us who um, wanted to um, uh, achieve that doctorate level education. So uh, thank you all for those messages of support. I never get tired of them. So please, if you feel um, like reaching out, I love to hear from you and I always try to reply. Um, so th anyway, thank you all who have been supportive of the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Um, I wanted to talk today about double crush syndrome. Now I was aware of the phenomenon without really knowing that there was a name for it. Um, I've seen it, I've even talked about it many times, things like um, sciatica, is it discogenic or is it deep gluteal syndrome? 
or a trigger point in the infraspinatus that refers um, to the C6 dermatoma in the hand, like a paresthesia in the thumb and index finger. Um, is, you know, is it a radiculopathy or is it a trigger point in the infraspinatus? So um, in reading uh, Dr. Trescott's work with peripheral neuropathy or peripheral entra nerve entrapments, um, I came across her when she used the term double crush syndrome. Um, and so I was looking into it and, and seeing that there was some controversy about the, the diagnosis. Not all doctors are on board with the um, possibility. Um, I would say, in my experience, it absolutely exists. And the reason I think it exists is because I saw it before I knew there was a term for it. Um, you'll see very often that somebody has a diagnosis of some sort of um, nerve compression in the spine. So it could be lumbar, it could be thoracic, it could be cervical. And so the symptoms that they have are being blamed entirely on the spinal compression. Um, so patients are told, oh, well, your, your nerve, your hip pain is coming from the lumbar, from your uh, disc issue or your stenosis or your knee pain is coming from your back or your elbow pain or your arm pain is coming from your neck. Um, and so I wanted to talk about that because it's, it's not, it's not that I disagree. It's that what I see happen is that you'll have two points of nerve compression. So you'll, which is the double crush syndrome. So you have like the, the interesting one, the trigger point in the infraspinatus that creates a paresthesia in the thumb and index finger. It can be a C5-6 compression that starts the cascade of events. And then you get a suprascapular nerve involvement that affects the infraspinatus. And then that irritation and collection of, uh, of pain chemicals can cause a trigger point in the infraspinatus. And then that will ricochet off of the sensory nerve and, and cause a radiculopathy or you have um, lumbar issue, you have some sort of lumbar um, uh, compression. Maybe it's an L4-5. Um, and it could tighten up muscles in the hip that will cause a sciatic compression. So it like L5, you know, the typical uh, sciatica is treated at L5-S1. So that can absolutely be the source of the sciatica. But once you have the L5-S1 uh, compression, then the muscles, the deep rotators, can start to then get uh, tight and cause the deep gluteal syndrome, the compression of the sciatic nerve from the hip external rotator. So you have to treat both. 
as opposed to just the L5S1. So you'll see people who um, did not get any benefit from from a nerve block or an epidural at the L5S1, they can still have sciatica or their sciatica has only gone for a couple months and then they are going back for nerve blocks every four months for uh, for their sciatica because the actual compression of the sciatic nerve is, is also coming more distally from the deep rotators. Um, the, a lot of the literature on deep uh, double crush syndrome is about carpal tunnel, but it could be coming from a, from a cervical radiculopathy. Then the carpal tunnel comes along. So what, what I see is that yes, there's compression at the spine and, you know, uh, C. Chan Gan, who was one of the early, uh, doctors using acupuncture for um, treating pain would would always look at the spine but would also treat distally in the motor points of the muscles that were affected because what he saw was the muscles got tight because of the spondylosis or or pre-spondylitic condition in the spine so it's 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 not an either or it's it's a both and so you you could fix the for him his research was done on tennis elbow so they would fix the tennis elbow but they would they they did research to show that it was coming from the spine as well so but it would you would really need to treat both um so you can't say oh we'll just treat the spine and now your tennis elbow is better no the muscles have already gotten too short. So once they're short, you're going to have a tendinopathy at the at the elbow, and you have to correct that muscle shortening to get the tennis elbow better. And yes, maybe it started at the spine, but once you have the muscles getting tight because of that, then you have a double crush situation, and that could be uh, you could, that could turn into cubital tunnel it could turn into carpal tunnel or pronator terry syndrome or it could turn into a a radial tunnel syndrome Um, this can happen with this happens a lot by the way post sciatica you could see somebody getting a drop foot or you could see somebody getting a tarsal tunnel syndrome Um, you definitely could see um, some plantar nerve uh, effects after sciatica where they have numbness in the lateral plantar nerve that's usually the lateral one is the most common one you'll see post sciatica but you could see anything getting involved uh, any of the the plantar nerves being entrapped post sciatica it's a double crush situation you had that sciatic irritation and now the muscles that are innervated at l5 or l5s1 um, or L5 uh, could be super tight. So, <clears throat> so you know that um, like the tibialis posterior from L5 could definitely get too tight and cause a tarsal tunnel. And then you've got some numbness in the bottom of the foot um, caused by the sciatica. So that's a double crush. You have to you have to correct the spine, but you also have to correct the peripheral nerve entrapment 
And, and so then the way I'm explaining it to my patients with a double crush is it's not that your doctor was not successful correcting the inflammation around the disc. That has been allevi- alleviated. You're, you're, that part is fine. But we still have to do cleanup from the original crush. Now I'm working on the secondary, the, the, the one that came later usually. And I'll still do some maintenance at the spine just to make sure those surrounding muscles are, are staying uh, freed up and not too tight. But when somebody, you know, I think it's probably, probably not uncommon that someone would assume that acupuncturists get the easy cases. We get, <laughs> I think people probably think acupuncture, acupuncturists get the simple stuff, right? And you think, um, especially if someone's treating from a traditional acupuncture perspective, which is a little bit more internal medicine, you're, you're treating stress or you're working on digestion or somebody has seasonal allergies. Uh, somebody's going to get IVF, so you're working with reproductive health. Um, that's all correct. That would absolutely be correct. When you're an acupuncturist who has chosen to focus on treating pain and issues of mobility, you end up learning how to treat the toughest cases because guess what? People go to their GP first. Then, if necessary, they see a specialist or a surgeon and then maybe a pain management doctor. And then they come for acupuncture because those other things may have helped but it didn't fix the problem so now they're in my office so i get actually counterintuitively the hardest cases most of the time not the easiest cases now it is true that because of word of mouth referral i get easy cases i do i absolutely get easy cases that i can resolve in one treatment totally happens and those people are great for referrals by the way so i'm i have nothing against easy easy fixes okay i love it um but do not do not believe that i get the easiest cases i get the toughest cases that nothing else helped i swear i'm seeing people who have been to cleveland clinic coming from western new york they go to cleveland clinic to for a better diagnosis because of the problems that they're having so i actually have to think outside the box i have to read a lot of material to really try to understand what's going on um one of the and and i've mentioned many times uh, dr trescott's book about peripheral nerve entrapment has been just such a help for me in understanding um, a lot of my patients' uh, chief complaints. When you get somebody who had um, maybe some sort of surgery, like a hernia surgery, and now they've got groin issues, groin pain, they've got numbness, they have um, numbness maybe in the leg, um, you really want to, you really want to try to understand that from from um, 
just a physiological understanding. And I've gotten so much information from, from Dr. Trescott's book about um, cutaneous nerves and where they get entrapped and, and really just understanding there are a lot of nerves that are both motor and sensory, like the femoral nerve. So you have, you have like lateral femoral cutaneous nerve entrapment that can cause numbness on the outer part of the thigh and because of um, works work like what Dr. Trescott has put out, you can understand where some of those entrapments could come from. And and I'm not going to leave you hanging. A lot of times it's it's going to be in the iliacus. A lot of times you're going to be working with the with adductors, the psoas and iliacus, especially for that lateral femoral cutaneous nerve entrapment. Um, so you know. I get tough stuff, okay? I I don't get the easy stuff. And and I'm always learning because of that. And I love that. I love it. I am the kind of person who gets bored easily when stuff is easy. I'm like the kid who was like smart enough that I didn't need to study much in class and could get bored really easily. So I need challenge. Um probably part of the reason that I like studying foreign languages is because I like to keep uh learning i i don't i get bored easily um so i love that i have chosen to treat pain because you will never know enough you will always be stumped you will always be looking for more information the um you'll see probably in all fields there are always people who who teach from such a position of i know this like they they speak with complete ease and very dogmatically like they know they know this is how it is and those people those are very uncomfortable to to encounter in your comment section cuz they already know everything and they've and they've decided that you don't um the those people are exist in the, and it's very painful for me um, because uh, I I just reject anybody telling us that they know for sure anything. Once you know, you are no longer teachable. You are you are dogmatic, and that's a very bad situation in the world of medicine. We we believe things. We think we know things. We trust our clinical experience and the people who came before us that when we act as if what they've taught us is true, very often we get a good result. Very often we can reproduce good results based on what we believe to be true but when we are stumped by something where we did what we thought we knew and it didn't help we can either decide that we still need to keep learning which is what i prefer or we can blame it on the patient and that's what happens to some of my patients it's kind of like oh well maybe it's you just need to lose some weight or 
um, you know, at your age, that's just kind of how it is. And um, we can up your dosage on X, Y, and Z medication. And and they pretty much just kind of throw up their hands and say, well, it's got to be something the patient is doing. Or, or maybe if you did your homework, or maybe if you lost some weight, or maybe if you weren't so old. Um, so I prefer to try not to do that with my patients and keep the responsibility in my court where I need to learn more if, um, and, and I also will be open and transparent with my patients that, geez, you know, this is really a tough case. I'm not going to pretend to know everything. Your case is a tough case, but you knew that you were a tough case because you've already seen all the experts. So, um, if you're willing to work with me, I'm willing to work on this and try to learn more and figure this out. But I'm not here to string you along and tell you, well, you just need to keep coming. You just need to come 10 more times or 15 more times. Um, I always am really honest with my patients when it's a tough case. And I'll say, this is what I think is happening. This is what I still want to try. This is what I think is also possible. And I'm not going to do all of the things and then not know when we do have success, not know why it helped because I'm not going to, I'm basically not going to take three different approaches and treat them all in one session because that's not very useful. It's great. If they feel better, that's great. But, but then I have to keep doing all the things because I don't know really what helped. And I don't learn that way. So what I what I have to do is be transparent with the patient. Here's what I think. Here's what I think we're working on. And I'm going to approach it from this um, concept first. And we're going to see. And if you don't feel any better, then I'm going to suggest that possibly your issue is this other thing. And we're going to do that because I don't have ways to validate my thinking because uh, you know we already have MRIs and we already have x-rays and we already have blood work that has validated one or two medical diagnoses why does this continue to be a problem if if we have ruled out anything major with with imaging and tests we know there's no brain lesion we know there's no cancer we know there's no nerve entrapment so bad that they need surgery. Now it's in my court and it's very likely going to be something musculoskeletal. So I'm willing to work through a couple different hypotheses with the patient and, and coming back to the topic of double crush, very often there is some sort of peripheral nerve entrapment that is causing them to not get better based on their original medical diagnosis. And if I can find that and confirm that with them, and they're willing to work with me for a few sessions to get to where I think we need to go, then very often we do see uh, improvement. And actually, um, even with neuropathies, very often we'll see an improvement in, in two or three sessions. We'll see some 
some positive movement if I'm on the right track. Neuropathies are tricky. We don't always see um, an improvement after one acupuncture session. Um, very often it's a little complicated and we don't always we don't always know where the nerve entrapment is happening. I try to palpate for the most sensitive areas that could be the entrapment zone, but if I'm not correct, or it just may be that the muscle wouldn't release instantaneously on one session, then we have to go a few sessions before we know if I'm heading down the right pathway, especially with nerves. Um, it's a little tricky. It's not always as gratifying as when it's something simple um, with just a muscle ache or some sort of joint pain caused by muscle issues. Those are the most gratifying where somebody gets off the table and says immediately, wow, this is so much better. Nerves are not so easy. Nerve entrapment's not so easy. Um, they, they usually come back the next week and tell me how they feel and I hope that they feel improvement. Um, and I would say um, a lot of times they do. But when they don't, it doesn't necessarily mean that that I'm on the wrong track. It just means I need to be persistent with the, the concept that I have of what's going on and see if it will improve in a couple more sessions. Um, so yeah, neuropathies are tough, but I get tough, tough cases. And so I think I just wanna be really transparent with the patient. They know they've already been to Cleveland Clinic and they're still in pain. So, um, you know, I need to be open with them, not pretend that I know everything, um, but also tell them what I think the possibilities are. And sometimes I'm the first person who's even explained to them what their medical doctors were thinking and why. Um, the doctors don't always have a lot of time to educate the patient on their condition. So they really, they really sometimes have to just say, well, when do you want to come in for your surgery? Um, and so my, my patients get a little bit more explanation than that. And they, and I try to walk them through what their doctor was thinking and explain why I think what they did was probably valid, why it probably solved the problem that they saw and why they're still in pain, which is usually that double crush syndrome. Um, the, the analogy I've been using lately is that a tornado came through your town. You know, that was the original nerve entrapment at the spine. The tornado came and did a lot of damage. And just because the tornado was gone doesn't mean that we don't have to rebuild. We do. I have to play cleanup and, and rebuild your town. You know, you're, you may have, had uh, a successful uh, surgery it might have been a hip replacement it might have been um, epidural it may have been uh, a laminectomy um, it may be complete you know joint replacement like knee replacement you're still in pain because because the damage that happened that led to your surgery 
is still there. You still have dysfunction in your body, and it could be from the nerve compression, and it could be because of um, um, compensation that you compensation patterns. Your body has learned, and muscles have gotten tight, and now you have taut bands and trigger points because of your pain, uh, the pain that led to your surgery. So just fixing the joint doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be out of pain. For many people, it does mean they're out of pain. I think maybe it's like 50-50 that, that you see where people are are like completely pain-free day of surgery. Where, But some people continue to be in pain. And so the explanation I have is that you have a lot of uh, muscles that have become dysfunctional and tightened up because of pain and inflammation from before the surgery, from, from the surgery. And if, if physical therapy didn't correct that, then you very likely have taut bands and trigger points that need to be addressed uh, by me to get you out of pain. And that's very often what we're going to see. And that's a double crush situation as well. You know, maybe your surgery was successful at, at L5S1, but you still have sciatica. Why? Trigger points in the piriformis, trigger points in the obturator internus or the gemelli. Um, you may have uh, trigger points in your biceps femoris um, from having sciatica. And now you still feel that pain in the back of your leg that you think is sciatica, but it's actually a trigger point that was formed because of the sciatica. The sciatic nerve has calmed down, but you still feel pain in the back of your hamstring. You still can't step forward without feeling it. You still feel it in certain positions. It still aches like it's sciatica. And very often it's just that biceps femoris that's super tight and maybe even irritating that bit of sciatic nerve that that is right behind it um so it produces what you think is sciatica but it's really just the biceps femoris that's super tight and probably has a trigger point in it and i need to address that or some people will have just the sciatica is gone except for right under their peroneus longus that right along that fibula they still have aching and very often it is you know, the sequelae of sciatica, you have a very tight peroneus longus, maybe peroneus brevis, maybe trigger points in the peroneus longus that need to be addressed to get you out of pain. So this is why when someone has had a procedure and there's still pain, there there is a uh, there's something that's that's going on um, that needs to be addressed. So so it isn't that the procedure wasn't successful. It's that the body didn't just automatically go in, go back to having uh, flexible and pain free movement. You've got muscles that tightened up because of the nerve entrapment. So it's like not maybe it isn't technically a double crush because it's not an entrapment. But it is an irritation of the nerve by those trigger points in the muscle that that and those trigger points happen because of the original first crush, which was usually at the spine. Okay, so I kind of rambled a little bit, but hopefully 
I put out some ideas that make you curious and want to learn more and look into it. And if you look at double crush syndrome, you, you will find a lot of good research that's available, abstracts you can read. A lot of times it's about um, carpal tunnel, but it doesn't have to be carpal tunnel syndrome uh, to be double crush syndrome. There are plenty of examples, but I like to put it out there for you because it's a good explanation for your patients and hopefully will encourage you to look more distally for issues that uh, seem to be just from the spine. Um, yeah, if somebody's not getting better after they've had some some sort of treatment by you for something that looks like a ridic- radiculopathy, then look more distally for what has gotten tight and starts to create a more distal peripheral nerve entrapment because it could be both. Um, okay, so that's it for this week. Um, and thanks again for those of you who have been supportive and sent me messages. I do appreciate it. Have a good week.